Many of you have probably watched the movie Fiddler on the Roof. It's a story about a Jewish man who marries off his three daughters, but not according to their religious tradition. And each of his daughters circumvent the tradition of the day, and each one goes a little bit farther away from the tradition as they enter their marriage relationships. Of course, this caused much angst on the part of their father, who felt as precarious as a fiddler on the roof. Well, tradition, especially of a religious nature, can be very powerful in molding individuals, families, and really whole societies. It speaks of what has been handed down to us from previous generations by way of education, family values, religious beliefs, social mores, and other such things. Some traditions are good. Some traditions are not so good. Much that has been of traditional value in our country today is being cast to the wind. For instance, uh, traditional values of law, of morality, and the historical fiber of our society are under attack and are really wrecking havoc across our land. Only tradition based upon good principles founded upon God's word has lasting value. When tradition becomes solely man-made, perverts or devalues God's principles, it must be rejected. Truth must always prevail over tradition, especially when it comes to the issues of what defiles a person and a society in general. Now, this was the problem of traditional views in Christ's day. Instead of being based solely on God's moral law, Jewish tradition was being added to it and actually circumventing its spirit. Now, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus is again confronted by Jewish religious leaders steeped in legal tradition. And this incident is focused on what is ceremonially clean or unclean, what enables you to worship the Lord on the outside or disqualifies you from that worship. The underlying problem was a misunderstanding of what really defiles you. It is not the outward ritual of cleansing or the type of food you eat that makes you clean or unclean before God. The source of all defilement is not due to what goes into you, but what comes out from you from a defiled heart. So Jesus exposes the false concepts of Jewish traditions by trumping them with truth. Now, we may fall into a similar trap today. Some people think that the way they look, the way they act on the outside makes them right with God. If they do certain things that their religion tells them to do, then they'll be okay with God. They don't understand that spiritual cleansing is from the inside out, not the outside in. And Christians, too, can be caught up 
they can be guilty of hypocrisy, basing their relationship to the Lord on what they do and how they appear on the outside, but be quite shallow on the inside. So let's see what the Lord says about uh, true defilement in these verses. Our Heavenly Father, we pray again today, you'll give us the understanding of your word and help us, Lord, to realize that uh, it is our heart that is the problem. It's our heart that needs to be cleansed. And uh, uh, we need not depend upon tradition, things that have been handed down to us, things that uh, may not even be related to your word for salvation. We have to depend upon the truth of your word. And so today, Lord, help us not to be hypocritical. Help us not to be give lip service to you. Help us, Lord, to understand that uh, through faith in Christ, we are cleansed from our defilement, and we have the opportunity to serve you as we should. Bless your word today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in the first part of this uh, passage of Scripture today, we see that God's truth trumps tradition. In the first few verses here, we have an objection of the Pharisees and scribes based upon their tradition, their interpretation or addition to God's law. So let's let's look at how the Lord Jesus handles this. Now we're told here in the previous paragraph that after Jesus walked on the water, they continued in ministry. They went to a place called Gennesaret, which is on the northwestern uh, side of the Sea of Galilee, and they ministered there as they normally did. But now it seems in chapter 7, although we don't have a geographical location given, they probably have come back to the central location of Capernaum, which is where the springboard of ministry is. And we find here in verse 1 of chapter 7 that another group of Pharisees and scribes or uh, lawyers, expert in the law, have come together to him. They have, uh, they're a special delegation, again, sent from Jerusalem, the central place of worship, uh, where all of the uh, proceedings take place, where the sacrifices are given to the Lord, where the teaching is supposed to come from, and the truth of God and how to worship God. They're coming in to check out the Lord Jesus. They want to really, by this time, discredit him. And and as they gather and they observe him with a negative eye, they find something fault-worthy. In verse 2, they... Uh, When they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defile, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. This is what they're looking for. They're looking for some way uh, to diminish the influence of Christ, something attached to the law, something they can accuse him with. And folks, it's always easy to find fault with somebody if that's what you're looking for. It's always easy to be motivated to make yourself look better than somebody else. It's far better for us, especially as Christians, to look for good in others, to find only fault in them that's really there, and if it's serious enough, then deal with it the way the Bible says that you should. But we shouldn't be going around trying to find what's wrong with everybody else. That was a problem that these rulers had. 
Now, what was their big issue? Well, they see that uh, when they come to a time where they're going to eat a meal, that his disciples failed to wash their hands. How awful could that possibly be? Now, today, this would be an issue that's uh, of a sanitary nature. We want our kids to wash their hands because who knows what's been on their hands before they eat their, their meal. We, we cleanse our hands. We wash our hands. It's, it's uh, to get rid of the germs. <clears throat> but back then, it was a religious ritual that you went through. And it was really associated with, with whether you're worshiping God in the right way or you're not worshiping in the right way. Uh, if you failed to wash your hands in a certain way, then you were disqualified from synagogue worship and possibly social contact with others until you got that right. You were declared ritually unclean. Now, where did this all come from? Well, you go back to the Old Testament, there, is, there are no requirements for the ordinary common man to wash in a certain way before you eat your meal. There was, however, a requirement for the priest because they're involved in offering up sacrifices to God. And when people bring a sacrifice, they had to go through a ritual cleansing process uh, of, of making them holy before God to offer up that sacrifice. It was something applied to the priest. But over time, the oral tradition of the scribes added to that and said, well, this is a good thing for all the Jews to do, that before we eat, we make ourselves uh, cleansed, purified, holy before God. And so they expanded this out uh, to some place that the Old Testament law did not require. Now, Mark explains for us the process to his non-Jewish readers because they wouldn't have really understood this in verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. So this is oral tradition passed down from generation to generation uh, that the Pharisees began, and now it's, it's kind of spreading out to all Jews. Now, of course, not every single one because the disciples weren't doing this, and there may have been others that, that kind of neglected it. I would wonder in your mind if you didn't think this was really kind of a silly thing back then. But to them, it was very serious. It was a tradition that you are to hold to, you're to clasp, you're to grab onto. And so when they come, this is extending it out now to, to, to their washings. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Now, why is that? Well, you go to the marketplace, you're not just going to have Jewish people there, you're going to have Gentile people there. You might rub shoulders with somebody. You might touch something that a Gentile touched. So when you go home, before you eat, you've got to take a bath to kind of cleanse yourself from the pollution that might have been there from the Gentiles. And then beyond that, not only do you wash yourself, you wash a whole lot of other things. Uh, 
like the, the cups, the pitchers, the copper vessels, uh, the tables there would, would kind of be the couches that you eat from in that day. So you need to wash everything to be undefiled, to be clean before God. And you can see how this just kind of adds to Scripture. It's human interpretation, human application of it. And they think everybody needs to do that. If you don't do that, you are unclean. You are defiled. You can't worship God uh, right until these things are taken care of. So that is the background. What do they do? Verse 5, the Pharisees and scribes come to Jesus. Now, they're not really accusing him. They're accusing his disciples, but he's the leader, so he's really the one uh, uh, who should be changing this situation. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed, uncleansed, defiled hands? So as a teacher of the group, uh, they expected Jesus to have some form or manner uh, that he taught the disciples how you're supposed to wash and prepare yourself before eating a meal. And it appears that this wasn't going on, so they want to know why. And this again reveals their misconception of purity, of what makes you clean in the eyes of the Lord. They thought the measure of your purity was exterior. How closely you followed the scribal interpretations of the law that were handed down generation to generation by their oral tradition. And this supposedly qualified you to worship God and made you in right relationship to him. So theirs was really a works-based relationship dependent upon your outward observance of ritual, ceremony, tradition. Now, Jesus responds. His observation gets to the heart of the matter. These leaders base their relationship uh, to God on these traditions rather than the pure truth of the Bible and what it was teaching uh, from the Old Testament. They believed their tradition was based on the law. After all, they were interpreting the law. They were making applications of what they thought the law taught or how we can obey the law. But these so-called interpretations were really just the expositions of rabbis from the past being handed down to the present. And as they're handed down from the present, every generation adds a few more laws to the laws added to the law. So you can imagine how cumbersome and tiresome it would be to to worship God. We got to worry about all these minor uh, rules that really weren't the word of God at all. And this became written down over time and is known as the Talmud. And that uh, which explained and applied the law actually became more important than the law itself. Listen to one statement in the Talmud. The words of the scribes are more lovely than the words of the law. 
For the words of the law are weighty and light, but the words of the scribes are all weighty. And another place, my son, attend to the words of the scribes more than the words of the law. So scribal interpretation became more important than the truth of God's word. Outward ritual was more weighty than inner worship. Now, the Lord exposes their hypocrisy in verse 6. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Hypocrisy is the failure to live up to your profession. These leaders profess to be right with God, to teach people to observe how God is to be properly worshipped, but instead of focusing on the heart, the inner man, their focus was on the appearance outside. And the Lord Jesus shows this is not just a, a current problem, but a historical one. He applies this verse from Isaiah 29 to the scribes and the Pharisees. Like Israel of old, whom God eventually had to judge these people honor the Lord with their, with their lips, with their words, with their outer actions of supposed purity, but their heart, the true self, is far away from him. And what is the result? In vain they worship me. Their worship is empty. There's nothing really there, but because they're teaching as doctrinal truth the commandments of men, tradition. And he goes on to say in verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God, the truth of God's word, you hold, you hang on to, you grasp the tradition of men. And he says, how? Well, the washing of the pitchers and the cups and many other things that you do. These are all outward things that do not really purify you. They don't make you right with God. They don't affect the inner man, the inner relationship to the Lord. They're just things you do on the outside that look good. How like modern day man-made religions. They're all a formulation of works that you must do or not do in order to please a God that you can't know even if you do everything you're supposed to do. Tradition trumps truth to the damnation of the soul. And how many Christians give lip service to God They look good. They do on the outside what's expected of them. They have the proper appearances, but really they're far from the Lord in personal relationship and devotion. We can have the same problem today. 
Now, Jesus goes on and he gives an example of what he's talking about, how tradition actually subverts the law. And he chooses the fifth commandment of honoring your parents and how you could get around doing that uh, by these traditions of the elders, the scribes, the Pharisees. Verse 9. He said to them, all too well you reject the command of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. Fifth commandment. That's not really hard to understand, is it? Do we need to preach a sermon on it? Do we need to explain every single word? It simply says you're to honor your parents. And that includes obeying them when you're young and respecting them when you're old and helping them out when they get old. You can put all that stuff together from the word of God. And then to strengthen what he's saying about how far this goes, he adds another verse of scripture from Exodus. He who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. So this is a pretty serious commandment. You would be worthy of death if you improperly treated your parents, if you talked back to them, if you swore at them, if you uh, uh, spoke harshly to them. So very serious commandment here. This is what the Bible actually says. The word in the Old Testament actually is. This is the truth. But you have a loophole. You say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban. Now, what is that? Well, this is actually a Anglic, uh, an English uh, translation from the Latin, or excuse me, from the Greek, from the Hebrew. So we just put it in there as a word, Corban. <clears throat> and what this seems to indicate, if your parents came to you, and let's say they needed some money, uh, to buy a car, or uh, they needed some help from you in some way, and, and this was of a material nature. And uh, you've got a pot up there uh, on the, uh, uh, the mantle, and it's got some savings in it that you could help your parents, and they know that. So they come in and say, well, maybe we could just borrow some. And you say, oh, no, that's Corban. That's dedicated to the Lord. That's a gift for the Lord. So you can't have it. You can't use it. The catch was, though, you didn't have to give that to the Lord right away. You could keep it. You could use it uh, until you die. If there's anything left in the pot, then they can give that to the temple. But during this whole period of time, you weren't obligated to do anything except say, that's Corban. It's dedicated to the Lord. You can't have it. And so the Lord's saying, this is how you, you dishonor your parents. You don't really fulfill the law. You're making an excuse of how you can get around the law by your tradition. Your tradition invalidates the law. <clears throat> and in verse 13, making the word of God of no effect. You don't really even have to obey it. 
if you have these traditions that surround it and keep you from having to obey it. So through your tradition, which you've handed down, you make nothing of the law. And this is just one example because, uh, because it says, and many such things you do. This is just one thing. You get around the true law by your traditions. So Jesus makes it pretty clear here that uh, tradition shouldn't be trumping truth. It should be the other way around. Tradition allows them to actually sin and break the law. Now, at this point, the crowd breaks up. He's answered them. He's put them on the spot. He's really kind of shamed them with their own tradition. And now he's going to turn to the crowd and to his disciples and further explain to us the true source of defilement. It's not a failure to wash your hands before you eat and all the stuff that you, uh, uh, you, you eat on or eat with. It's something much deeper than that. So we come to verse 14. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. And then later, verse 17, the disciples come and they want him to explain the parable. So here again is that parabolic teaching of the Lord uh, so that those who really want to understand will be able to and those who don't are not going to be able to. So after he deals with these false interpretations of the Pharisees, he comes to the multitude and he explains to them the true source of defilement. It's not of a material nature, but a moral nature. It doesn't come from outside of you, but inside of you. As he approaches the people, he's again making this very serious because he says to, to them, you need to listen to me. You need to hear. You need to understand what I'm saying because this is really important. And as we uh, continue to go through the life of Christ and the teaching of the word of God, if you don't see this point, you can't be saved. If you don't understand where defilement really comes from, there's no way you can be cleansed from it. So it's a very important point that the Lord is bringing to the people. Now, in verse 15, the first thing that he says is this. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. Our son uh, used to go hunting with someone in our our former church. And uh, they went out rabbit hunting, I think. They came back in and uh, the fellow cleaned all the, the rabbits up and everything. Then they had lunch and he didn't wash his hands. That's the last time my son went hunting with us. But you know what? Even though you didn't wash your hands and you ate that, that's not going to defile you, spiritually speaking. It might make you sick. <laughs> we can put all kinds of things in our, in our bodies that could make us sick, but it's not going to make you morally impure. And so that's what Jesus is telling them. Now, this would have been a difficult thing for the Jews of that day, because if you go back to the book of Leviticus, you're going to find whole chapters about what you could eat and what you couldn't eat, what was clean, what was unclean, what defiled you and what didn't. 
And so you can see the predicament that's in their head. Jesus is saying, nothing that goes into you can defile you. But in the law, it does say, if you eat this or that or the other thing, it does defile you. So what's going on here? Well, Jesus is speaking of moral, spiritual defilement, not ritual, ceremonial cleansing. Uh, What you eat does not make you morally clean or unclean. Rather, he says in the same verse, the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Not what goes in, but what comes out. Again, obviously you can think eat things that hurt you physically that over a long period of time might actually kill you prematurely. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual defilement. What uh, comes out of a man is defiling, not what goes into him. All right. So Jesus then uh, explains to his disciples the real source of defilement. Now, he's kind of left it all there um, as he's talking to the people. But then in verse 17... He enters a house away from the crowd. So he gave the parable to the crowd, probably kind of a puzzle to them, a a riddle to them, because, you know, the Old Testament says this, and then Jesus says this, and how do we put these two things together? So when they get to the private place, to the house, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And guess what? They didn't get it either. They're still pretty obtuse. And Jesus kind of rebukes them mildly when he says, are you thus without understanding also? You've been with me all this time. You've heard my preaching and teaching. Uh, Are you still not able to perceive this? You know, kind of like, do I have to explain everything to you? But he always does. And they're asking him and being honest about it is the best approach because they do want to understand what he's saying. So they ask him for some help here and then he explains it more clearly to them. And again, in verse uh, 18, do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? And now he's going to explain that. Why doesn't it defile you? Well, it goes into your body. It doesn't go into your heart. It goes into your stomach. And it goes through the digestive process. We all know about that. Get the nutrients out of the food and then it's eliminated. So it's just a natural process, a material process, a physical process. So the food itself is not what defiles you, going into you, passing through you, giving you what you need for life, then going out. Rather, it's the heart that's the issue, not the stomach. Of course, we know that the heart of man is talking about the inner man, who you are, uh, the real you inside the the center of your intellect and your will 
For those people, not so much your emotion, but your thought processes. So he's explaining to them again uh, that what comes out of your heart is the problem. That's the issue. That's what defiles you, not what you put in. All right. So again, it's the focal point of the heart of man, who you are on the inside. Uh, that's what really needs to be cleaned here. This is what needs to be purified. This is all. This is the 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 underscoring of everything that happens. Now, the first thing he mentions here, and we're not going to go into great detail because we're familiar with this. But the first thing he mentions here is what out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts. So your thought life where nobody knows what you're thinking but you, unless you blurt it out, and of course God, who knows everything about you, your thought life in the inner man, your heart, is the source of a lot of problems. So uh, your evil thinking, we all know that wrong thinking produces wrong actions and wrong attitudes. Your outward stem, uh, sin stems from your inner thoughts. And this is really what's behind everything. Our evil thoughts, our bad uh, ideas, our wicked deliber- deliberations, our reasonings on the inside. And from that, Jesus then goes on and describes some sins that we find elsewhere in the Bible, some of the in the law of God. And he just goes down through here and he says, okay, this is what we're talking about here. This stuff doesn't come from the outside in. This stuff's already in there and it's coming out in your actions, in your attitudes. So he goes through this listing here. And he mentions adulteries and fornications. Those are sexual sins. Those are sins that we see uh, in a way we don't want to see in the day in which we live. Uh, Those are our sins that that cover all manner of the sensuality we see in our world today. We're very familiar with it. Uh, and, And again, remember, you don't have to be guilty of the outward action to be guilty of the sin because it can be in your head. You can just think about it and that's sin. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount explains that. You don't have to actually do something in the body. If you did it in your mind to God, that's just as bad. And it's sin. He goes on to mention murder. And again, of course, uh, murder is taking the life of another person. You can kill somebody in your mind. Jesus equated hatred with murder. Hating somebody is the same as murder. So we don't get out of it simply because we didn't take a gun and pull the trigger. He goes on to say, thefts, covetousness. Well, most thefts are the result of covetousness because you want something and you're just going to take it. We all know what it means to be covetous, to desire something we don't have and and get it any way we can. And oftentimes we, we learn our lesson when we can't really pay for it. So this is something we can commit as well. Wickedness covers everything that's not done out of love and concern for others. 
Selfishness is wickedness. Then we have the word lewdness or lasciviousness. Uh, according to a Greek lexicon, this is behavior lacking in moral restraint. We don't see that today, do we? Usually with implications of, of sexual licentiousness. So this is, this is something that's rampant in our society today, even in our churches. He mentions the evil eye. Well, you know, that's not the, the third eye in your head and, you know, evil-looking eyes. What that is, that's associated with envy and jealousy or perhaps a lack of generosity in helping others. You look upon them in an evil way. Blasphemy is injurious speech either to God or to other people. Pride, we all know that because we all committed uh, the sin of pride maybe sometime every day if we're not careful. And then foolishness, we know what foolishness, that, that doesn't really rate with the rest of them. Well, if you go to the Old Testament, you read the book of Proverbs, it does. One commentator said, it is that moral senselessness which lacks ethical perceptions and ignores religious responsibilities. So playing the fool is associated with wickedness in the book of Proverbs. Now, none of these bad things, and this isn't all of them by any means, they come from outside, uh, not from outside of us, but from inside our depraved hearts. And the only way we can be cleansed is through the blood of Christ shed at Calvary. We can't wash away the inner propensity to sin. We can't clean up on the outside so as to purify the inside. We're morally and spiritually defiled from the inside out, not the outside in. So it's the inside that's got to be taken care of first. So let's try to draw some applications as we close this morning. First of all, be sure that the truth of God is ruling your life, not the traditions of men. Not what men say about it, but what the Bible itself actually says. Now I hope as a believer, you have broken from any bad traditions from your former life. And I'll leave that up to you to think about and to ponder. Remember, the only good traditions that you might develop are related to God's truth. They're based upon his word. Our traditions should relate to obedience to the actual word of God. So, we should have a tradition of, of personal and family devotions. How are we faring there? That's, what we, that's how we keep our heart right with God. A tradition of joining with a solid Bible-believing church and being sure your family's there every Sunday. A tradition of serving the Lord in the, the capacity that he has gifted you. A, 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 a tradition of giving to the work of God at home and around the world. All these things are, are traditional values that we develop from the truth of God's word. They all fall in line with principles or commands in the Bible, and we're supposed to obey them, not change them or try to get around them. But let's remember that such traditions do not save us and they don't even prove that you're saved or you're right with the Lord. They do not trump the truth that we're saved by grace through faith in the work of Jesus Christ alone. Jesus said, there will be those who say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? 
cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, because you're hypocrites. So we have to guard against hypocrisy or lip service and not do these things because we're supposed to. And if we do, that will make us right with God or make us look good. No, we have to do them out of a heart that wants to do them and obey the Lord. Now, always be sure to remember that the region Jesus came into this world was to cleanse us from the defilement of our sin. It's because of all the evil and wrong things that we have thought and that we have done that come out of this wicked heart that we uh, are, uh, are deserving of death and he came and he suffered and he died for those things in our place. Let's never remember, uh, or let's always remember, not to tone down our sin by comparing ourselves to others or being lifted up in pride about what we've done that we think is good. Let the truth never be far from our minds that without the grace of God, we would be paying the price of our own sin in hell for all of eternity. May we ever be conscious of the the depravity of our own heart that we might better praise the Lord for his salvation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we are thankful today that the Lord Jesus came. He told us about our depravity and he did something about it. We're thankful, Lord, that because of his sacrifice on the cross, we can have our sins forgiven. He paid the penalty once and for all. And he cleanses us from those sins. And through his spirit, we have uh, the power to overcome them as we grow closer and closer to him. So Lord, help us uh, to base our life relationships upon you. Help our hearts each day uh, to be cleansed as we come and spend some time with you. Help us, Lord, to discard the traditions of men that are uh, wrong, that are based upon uh, uh, human imagination, and put our faith and trust solely in your word. And Lord, help us to remember that you have cleansed us from the inside out, so that on the outside we can do the things that are truly pleasing in your sight. Bless us with these thoughts we ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.